I'm Haley. I'm Amanda. And, and we're, we're Haley, Haley and Amanda. Amanda. And you're listening to the Haley and Amanda podcast. Call us lazy and creative because we're both. We named our podcast after our names and we're it's creative. Yeah, that's pretty creative, I'd say. But even more creative, our pledge. Are you ready? Are you ready to pledge yourself to me, Walker? Always. I I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United Mates in America, and rarely in public is where we stand. One friendship under God, indivisible, live party, and just us for all. That's right, but today it is not just us for all. We have a special guest. Really special. Our friend, Nancy Wonders. And let me tell you guys, the last name Wonders couldn't fit another human better because she is a wonder. She is, and she'll make you wonder about About a lot (laughs) of stuff. (laughs) She, Haley, how about you tell everybody how we met her? Because you met her and then introduced her to me. I actually met her many years ago when she purchased a painting, um, for like a silent auction in our neighborhood and I ended up going over to meet someone who I thought would be a rando and not care about them and I stayed for three hours talking to her not about the painting but about life and uh you know the wonder of it all that sounds very Nancy wonders yes what an experience it was wonderful (laughs) and then you brought her over to our house for wine and to give her the painting and then she stayed for some hours there talking Mm -hmm. And that's when I realized what you realized, that she's not ordinary. No, and we had to have her in our life. And uh, we have random porch conversations with her that are often mind-blowing and totally insightful. And the thing about Nancy and why we really wanted to have her on our podcast is because she is such an amazing she has a great mind she's a great thinker and then she also articulates these very complicated topics so well correct and she it's because it's what she does for a living yes and we get we're lucky enough to know know her as outside of her job yeah we try to buy her wine and and also entertain her with our um our yes (laughs) hoping that she'll still want to hang out with us yeah so nancy just to give you a little bit of background on nancy wonders she has her background in business and psychology so she has her master's degree in counseling psychology but back in 1999 she founded the wonders consultancy group and so she is a firm that specializes in transformational change coaching and counseling so what she does for a Mm -hmm. living is pretty much this she's blowing people's minds yes and (laughs) and asking really important questions and opening people up to find this um, deeper part of themselves and also we just wanted to ask her on because as our podcast is about joy and inspiration you will hear her laugh so many times and it's contagious now here's the thing about nancy typically when we have a guest on it's an interview (laughs) 
and but, we're interviewing them. Yeah, but that's not what happens on this episode. Nancy has a way, and this is not a bad thing, Nancy has a way of guiding a conversation and opening you up even when you think you're the one in charge of the conversation. Mm-hmm. So as the podcast host, we became... At some point, the interviewees. <laughs> the tables turned quite a few times. But something really special about this particular episode for me, this is Amanda, she really helped me unfold and articulate like my purpose. Which yeah. is, <laughs> it happened. It and happened in the conversation it. and it's recorded. And it's, it was a great, it was a great conversation. And it, 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 we were like, how are we going to title this? Because it, the, the conversation goes through so many different um, stages. But I really think if you guys are open to it and you listen in to all the things Nancy brings up and says, um, it can be quite life-changing and eye-opening. And so we hope that you enjoy it. We also have made a pretty intensive list on the show notes because there are so many references made. And... If you want to go and reference any of the things that we talk about, you can find them there to just kind of continue the insight wonder journey. Um, She's also the woman that introduced us to David White, who is the person that we've been uh, reading and being so much inspired by recently. The poet, David White. Yes. And um, so anyways, you... You will hear that also we just jump right in here to the conversation because because that's that's what Nancy does. She doesn't waste any time. We opened the Zoom call and she just started in on this conversation and we were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, um, wait. okay. (laughs) we'll we'll introduce you later. And then (laughs) and she just but it was great. And the thing is, is that that's so Nancy. She's just full of great conversation so we hope y'all enjoy our conversation for people who are listening to this that are local a dallas legend died this week wick allison and what you wick allison is the um was the founder um and editor of d magazine the original his story is that it's worth reading his obituary and going to the d front burner blog and reading everything that many people who worked for him said about him. Hmm. Vic was truly the most singular human I think I have ever known. You know, back in my day when I was growing up, people would refer to people that were unusual as that person's a character. Wick was a character on steroids. <laughs> he, I truly, it's, and you get a flavor of it when you read people's stories. Of the Wick stories are kind of legendary. Um, I and I know him because I was hired by him. In fact, he wrote an article endorsing my work way back, wow. like in two thousand six or something like that, on Indie Magazine. Um, I coached he and um, Christine and then Phyllis Cole was the publisher. Then Christine was the president. Um, He was the editor and, uh, and some other people, some of the other people that worked there, we did leadership learning labs. We did lots of fun things and coaching Wick was just a trip. I mean, it's like coaching a two-year-old in the sense that that two-year-old is got is so clear about 
what they want. <laughs> and, and you, if you're, first of all, he was like my son, he was a not distractible two-year-old. That is, that is what's really unusual about that is he was a brilliant, brilliant mind. He was heir um, apparent to um, William F. Buckley. Um, he had, he was an extraordinary conservative mind whose daughter, Jilly, who is now president of D Magazine, um, and their and her mother, Wick's wife, worked on both Obama campaigns. Um, Wick changed his mind and came out and endorsed Obama in, in 2008. Um, he was a yogi. I have, I was just looking through a book this morning. Um, he was a devout Catholic. Um, he just was a study in opposites, and he reminded me of the Walt Whitman poem. Um, there's a line in a Walt Whitman poem that says, I contradict myself very well. I contradict myself. I am vast. I contain multitudes. Wow. And most of us have a hard time containing our opposites. We, we put them at war with each other. Right. You know, we should be at X or a Y and we spin and we alternate. We didn't seem to have that problem. It's just I'm vast, I contain multitudes. What's your problem? <laughs> so it's just those people are harder to find in our world now because we are so um, influenced from day one. And that was even somewhat true, but less true for me and my generation, for the boomers, but beginning of this in the boomers of, with media. Yeah. You know, and so following the path of who you are is really hard to know who you are when you're influenced by so much that you see and hear, hearing that voice inside of you that says, I want X is very, very difficult in the modern world. Ever since TV, really it begins with TV. And of course now it's, it's <laughs> exploded. But. And it's, there's a lot of beauty in living in that paradox that, that people, I think, you know, what you're saying, like you take one side or another on different issues, but if you really embrace the paradox of, of all all aspects of life and you live in it, that's actually really like a sweet spot because you're getting the best of both worlds, but you're also acknowledging things that are difficult and hard and embracing your truths too, but you're always kind of causing yourself reflection in that state, you know? I do think... I, I, what struck me, I feel like I intellectually, so this would be a good conversation. So I think I intellectually, and I'll bet there's other people that in their brains, they can embrace um, opposing views. I mean, first of all, that's something. That's a developmental level. Mm -hmm. Most 18-year-olds cannot hold to opposing views. Right. Plenty of 30-year-olds can't too. I mean, the reason wisdom is attributed to the elder is you get knocked around so much on the way to getting elder <laughs> that you give up trying to shape reality to what you want it to be and instead to 
bring our friend David White into this, the poet, into this conversation. Instead, you get in conversation with reality. Mm -hmm. uh, he's famous for saying when a, a man and a woman stand at the altar saying their vows, um, the woman has an imagination. She is vowing to love and be committed, and, but she has an imagination of what that future is. And the man has an imagination of what that future is. And the invisible world or God has an imagination of what their future is. And the truth is, no, no one of those prevails, including God's. It's a conversation. It is a mix of all of that that is what we call life. Um, if you believe in an invisible world, um, most of the people that believe in a, in a, in God or gods, um, but some sort of unseen world, um, even from a kind of physics standpoint, um, it has to be invited. It cannot be, it will not come knocking on your door saying, okay, I'm going to tell you what to do. You know, it's, um. I don't know, maybe, I don't know if you guys have ever felt that. Have you ever felt like you just wanted a theophany? You just wanted the clouds to part and the voice to say, Haley or Amanda, do this. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Many times. It's a lot, it would be a little more simple, I would guess. Oh, yeah. And I think that's the attraction of certain kinds of ideologies whether they're religious or philosophical, that say, we have it. We have it figured out. If you do X, Y will always happen. You just keep doing X and Y will always happen. And Y might happen a lot, but it mm -hmm. will not always happen. Right. No guarantees. Well, so. That was a nice start. Really? And that was so in the spirit of Nancy Wonders to just guide that conversation into something so beautiful that we weren't even planning on. So that was lovely. <laughs> that was very generous of you. There's a guy at Harvard whose name is Robert Keegan, who is the chair of their adult development. And he has a theory of <clears throat> adult develop development. Um, which basically says that, <clears throat> sorry, there's a level called level three or socialized self where your identity, you don't exist outside a group or it could be a partner or it could be a marriage or it could be a friendship. Like there isn't a self that exists outside this, this group identity. And so the next step is called self-authoring. The Jungians and other people before Keegan called it individuation. And this is where you learn to belong to yourself while you also stay in relationship with other people. So that's where um, reasonable people can disagree, where you don't have to demonize somebody whose views are opposite yours. You can debate like heck. Right. You can follow yours, but you don't have to other the person who sees the world differently. In fact, 
as you keep going developmentally, you will find yourself living more and more in a place of curiosity. Curiosity about why does this person see this so differently than I do? Well, and Um, you hear so many times, or at least lately things we've been listening to and reading about how shaming is not any strategy that is successful towards changing someone or opening how opening their eyes towards even like your perspective or or making them curious like shaming actually shuts that part down and so i just think it's interesting that a, a huge part of our culture right now is the cancel culture which is a you know in definition kind of shaming people and that's the most ineffective way to see change or make people really curious about another position but it, you have to be so developed to hold both sides and what we just our last episode was about our favorite lyrics and one one was um a song by dawes called crack the case and do you remember the exact lyrics about he said finding that finding out that we occupy someone else's opposing sides on the banks of some great divide two Two versions of a dream and that is exactly it. Like we, you occupy someone else's opposing side. We all do. And it's someone's version of how they see their dream, you know? And he's saying that, you know, maybe it would finally crack the case if we could hold that, what you're saying, you know, if we could actually try to see somebody else's side and not necessarily that it would change our view, but just that we could have the empathy to because he says i want to sit with my enemies and declare no winner or losers and forgive our shared mistakes and maybe that would crack the case and so good huh yeah yeah no that's really and that really is it i was trying to think of um something flipped through my mind but you guys keep talking i lost it well and then and that that's related to to um david white and him uh, the poet we keep talking about, that he he talks about that the most important thing to him really is, you know, can you, do you feel abandoned or do you belong? And do yeah. you see despair in others? And, you know, can you hold this inside yourself? Yeah, can you, and that's yeah. really at the heart of everything, but Lord, I mean, we're in our 30s and we're just scratching the surface of this stuff, you know? So you're right about wisdom. The poets, I think that poem is called Self-Portrait and it starts, I don't care if there's one God or many gods. I just love how he walked into that. He was like, that's not the conversation. That's not the point. Right. Well, because that's immediate. Well, that's always been the conversation. Right. And he's saying that's the problem. Right. And then he comes and says, here's where the conversation is. I care if you feel, if you belong or feel abandoned. Yeah. If you know despair in yourself. And are able to see it in others. You see it in others. That's where the conversation is. Because that's where our common, if we can ground ourselves in our common humanity, which is that whether you even, quite frankly, even think of the the biggest extremes, you know, think about 
neo-Nazis, you know, and, and the farthest left. There, there are things that people on both those, in both those places share in common. It might just be they love their dogs. I don't know. But that's the point of common humanity. Yeah. And until we can see that in ourselves first, that's the trick, you guys. Because how can I... The reason I get mad at you for having a different opinion is it rattles my cage if I'm not yet individuated. Yeah. If I've adopted a view um, and built a group and a world, a social world around the, that, that view, this shared view, everything is at stake if I don't have a self that exists even if this group disappears. Yeah. And ultimately, what life, when you get to be my age, it teaches you more and more about that because you lose more and more of the people you belong to. Mm. You know, you see, you spend more and more time at funerals and less time at weddings. So if your only belonging is to others, Right. You've got no ground right. when you have to face the tragic in your life. Our buddy David White in that poem Camino, um, it, it, it's in the second stanza. He said he he he's talking about and to give people context for this, he is the Camino is a seven-day, I think, maybe it's a little longer pilgrimage people make down this. Camino de Santiago, I think is the name of it, in Spain, right? It takes months. Oh, it takes months. Oh, good God. But people do... I was impressed if it took a week. <laughs> yeah, because it starts It starts in the... Um, south of Spain. South, or in the it's south of France. France. And you walk across mm -hmm. the entirety of the north of Spain to the farthest east... Well, I'm sorry, western coast... Um, so anyways, but so he wrote, he wrote a lot of poems. He didn't have that experience, but I think his niece mm -hmm. did. And he happened to pick her up. I think she must've flown to Seattle at the end of the experience. And he picked her up at the Seattle airport. And, um, I'm trying, I think Finisterre, that poem of his was the one he wrote and gave her the next morning for breakfast. But I think the conversation started, well, he has a book called Pilgrim, and that's what they call people that are taking this um, this journey, this pilgrimage is, mm -hmm. you know, fundamentally what it is. So he's got a two stanza poem, and I'm going to start on the second stanza, and it's called Camino. And he says, but your loss brought you here to walk under one name and one name only. And then he says, and to find the guys under which all loss can live. Mm -hmm. And that line just has arrested. I think that's such a great question for all of us. Like if I asked you guys, for you, Haley, for you, Amanda, what is the disguise? What is the, and disguise isn't quite the right, but that's what the word guys comes from. What is the covering under which all the losses that you can imagine 
including the loss of each other, including the loss of your family, Amanda, including the loss of your beloved. Um, what is the covering under which all loss can live for each of you? And I think that's a question for each of us. You guys want to take a shot at that or do you want to just ponder that for a while? I mean, I think it definitely needs more pondering. I mean, it's a hard question. Yeah. I mean, I have David White's answer of pilgrim in my head because, you know, the only thing that holds everything is it is actually something that's not finished. You know, it's something that's on its way, something that's continually evolving, trying, you know, so it's not necessarily saying, I am this individual, or I am this believer, I am this, because we have a lot of different titles that we give ourselves in life, but truly, nothing is a finished work. So you are not fully something, you're always becoming, becoming, which we get from a simpler way that other book that we love so much. And I mean, I've thought about this too. I've, I've thought about, well, what about human, you know, but even, even human doesn't really hold it all because, you know, we're all thinking about before and after this small stage of whatever's going on with us, you know, of actually being human. Well, and whenever you have experienced loss, which, you know, we all have in different ways in life. And I would say my way is losing my grandfather, who I was, he was my, like, I, he wasn't, he wasn't just my grandfather to me. He was somebody who was like my inspiration in life, you know, everything. And so losing him there, it is like a before and after, right? It's like before (laughs) with him and then a life after him. But I'm still on a journey becoming who I am with or without him, but his his impact in my life is continuing me on a journey after him and spurring me on in certain ways, even in his absence, you know? So I think, yeah, I mean, we're kind of cheating because we've been listening and reading David White, but I would say also it is that you are becoming and you're on a journey and you are pilgrim. Like the the only word to hold it is becoming. Yeah. So there's a, there's a nuance in the two responses you each made. To my ear, Haley, yours emphasized having something, a work, something that you get up to do in the morning, regardless of the loss. And Amanda, yours felt like you were identifying the something and the something is for you, um, your own personal becoming. Hmm. And one of the things I've noticed in humans um, that I'm not sure this is a binary, but I do I became enamored. I'll have to send this to my friend Leslie Lanes. When I was in my late 40s with um, a group of people, they are still my friends. They are my children's friends. 
Um, they were stunningly wise people. They brought me, they brought me Meg Wheatley. They brought me David White. They brought me so much of the wisdom that that changed my life. That put me on an entirely different trajectory than the one that just opened, kind of blew all the windows out and all the doors out, and said, "Did you know there's a world out there?" And I didn't. Um, so I, I give them credit for that. Actually, I might have been in my early 40s when this was when I first met them. But anyway, um, Leslie's was like my opposite. I'm expressive and animated. Leslie was the most contained, regal human I had ever met. Her dignity, that's just the first word you thought about, which is an unusual thing yeah. to meet someone who conjures that essence for you immediately. And I was drawn to her like a moth to the flame. Now we were as opposite as we could be, but we did something, at least for me, that was very new, probably not for her. We decided instead of trying to change each other, <laughs> that we were drawn together. She wanted, I think, could sense that she was drawn to me because it could be good for her to be more expressive so people couldn't just maybe write whatever they wanted to write all over her because she was like this blank slate unless you were really paying attention mm -hmm. um and so that and I don't mean that she didn't express but I'm just saying it was that that, that essence of being contained right. people who are very contained and have that as a quality are, can be easily misunderstood and where other people's ideals, um, shadows, whatever. And I wanted to learn how to be contained, how to um, not always expend energy. So we need, so we just kind of hung out while she was in town together with no, we didn't have big kind, we didn't really have conversations about it. We just said, we just made this agreement at the beginning of the friendship, which was something I had never done. And I thought, oh, my marriage would have looked so different if I'd done this. <laughs> but anyway, um, I might have lost the thread of what we were talking about, finding the guys. Oh, the idea of Leslie could hold all of us universally. She met the world like my hands and palms are open. And I meet it with a handshake. It's subjective. It's personal. It's attached. Um, I actually wrote an essay once, kind of called F attach, uh, detachment, like once. That's crazy. That's what humans are for. That's what gods are for. Um, she had this. And so I, but I see this in people. I see this. I mean, we could probably connect it to astrology, but I see people that come with this sense of more of a global or like I think about Ruth Gator, Bader Ginsburg that way, right? That she's had this star that has animated this cause, this work that has gotten her up day after day after day to meet cancer, to meet the death of her beloved husband, to meet whatever life, whatever life brought. And that's not me. And I'm Kaylee, I'm not saying that's you, but I am, I did want to make the, the connection, right, that there's, there's ways to be in the world more subjectively, that favor attachment, um, probably favor connection in a different kind of way. Um, and then there's ways to be in the world that has your frequency always turned 
towards this work of yours. Now, it belongs to you, mm -hmm. but your identity is never separate from the work that you're here to do. It doesn't, it, it doesn't exist separately. So when people say to me, I want to find my work, I get really curious about the how much emphasis is on my. Yeah. And the reason for that is if that's the place our strategic brains, our egos, our scarcity thinking right. can take us off course. That's right. So if it's about my big letter work, right? Work. <laughs> my work. Um, that makes it harder because the ego is going to try to add some extra layers that it wants for itself. Right. Where if it's about my work, it's easier to get around ego. That's all that means. You get there either way because it's a pure longing that will be fulfilled um, or filled some way, either by addictions or by, by, by the real thing. But I think when we focus on what is mine to do and the emphasis on the mind, as opposed to um, what the thing is, how can I serve? What is mine to serve? And that question takes you still back to you because the answer has to be, where do I come alive? Yeah. What is the work I can do where I am outside of time and space, where I feel that Walt Whitman expansiveness? Right. So that is this, it is about you, but the question is, can you listen to you and not make it about you? So I think that's the kind of tension there. Okay. And I have a question for you about that. I'm just curious. I've never, I've never even really thought about this until you were just saying this. Um, so I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like it's, it's so amazing that you were able to make that distinction because as you were explaining it, I do think that there are people and tell me what you think about this. I'm, this is just a conversation. Like I'm thinking, Haley, I'm, I'm literally articulating this thought that I've never had before. So if it's bad, okay. <laughs> but that's what this is for. These are the best conversations when we overhear ourselves saying something we didn't know we knew. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. And it's interesting to me because Haley, since she was young and I, her, her and I met when I was 14 years old. So, but even before I knew her, her work was always art. I mean, always. And it was this very distinct, clear path she was on and throughout her life. It's, it's, even if it wasn't the center stage because of, you know, different things that happen in life. It was her thread and it was always her destination and it was always very clear. And so I do think that there are people that are born with this very distinct innate set of their, like their direction, their talent, their work. And then I think someone like me, I have things that I do believe are innate talents, but they're not as clear as her work, right? Like, so through life, I'm always trying to find the avenue of where these things play out because it's not so clear as like art, painting. It's like, how could I use this in maybe a lot of different things, right? There's, there's people who have a little bit more, I guess, leeway in the direction they take their things. Do you know what I mean by that? And so for me, 
whenever I was talking about my grandfather, what I emphasize in life, I think, you know, who knows, it, it could be different in my subconscious, but how I emphasize life is the impact that I want to make in the world. Like I look at my grandfather, he owned small grocery stores in West Texas, but he changed people's lives. Like his legacy there is huge, right? And not, and it's not his legacy, like his name or something. It's just like the impact he made on people. Right. 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 To me, that's been my motivation, right? right? I don't know what avenue I go down to get there, but I want to have this positive, long lasting legacy impact on people. That's it. Then that is your due north. Right. Haley's the, the work that being a visual artist for Haley yeah. is how she expresses her destiny, her right. how she influences the world, um, how she brings in particular how she brings beauty into the world is something you both share. Is this devotion to beauty? Um, yours is, is as say this. Um, okay, let's go back to Ruth Bader Ginsburg for a minute. How many women and men, but we're going to talk about women right now, have actually held women's rights as maybe the primary purpose they wanted their lives to serve? And we can think of lots of them, right? They did it in lots of different ways. You think about Judy Chicago and her art. Think about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the law. Think about um, Gloria Steinem, my favorite of all times. Um, Jane Fonda. You know, I mean, there's so the so so there is something that we are in service of that is a transcendent kind of. Thing. It, it, it belongs more in the, the, those platon, that platonic world of ideals, truth, beauty, goodness. Um, and there are ways that we are in service of it. Right. So your, what you said is that your way of being in service of your values mm-hmm. is that you want your presence in someone's life to last, to be transformative, not so they remember you, right? right? But so that they remember what they gained as an insight for themselves in that moment. Right. Because I feel like, you know, even you saying this, I'm articulating it for the first time in this way, is that it isn't about a legacy of me being left. It's a legacy of a of a good human because I think at the root of what I hope in my life is that I can be the best person. And what I mean by that is like positive, uplifting, bringing joy, bringing goodness. Like my, you know, there's just, there is a difference between good and evil, you know, and I don't know how it's hard to experience that or express it in the world, but there is a distinction. And like, I look at my grandfather, right. And he didn't even have to, it felt like he didn't even have to try to be this 
goodness. Right. right. You know, and so it was just him. John Lewis just popped to mind. John Lewis just flew all over my brain. Yeah. Like the civil rights leader. That that same thing. It just was, it was you're describing your grandfather who had just this presence. Right. That constellated goodness. And it's kind of like the Mr. Rogers thing too. I don't we were we recently yeah. watched the documentary, but that he was like, I just want to bring and be the goodness because there is a part of humanity you have to fight for to say like, there are good people out there and I'm going to call the best out in you because you can also be good, you know? And I think that's actually what the definition comes down to for me in legacy, you know? It's about, say, say we Say that again for yourself, because you're kind of finding your way into this. Thank God this is recorded. So I know. Those <laughs> <laughs> no things that leaves you, because your ego might go, oh my God, where's she taking me? <laughs> Let's just wipe that thought out. See if you can say it again. That, that I am bringing the goodness for others to see that, they, that there is goodness in the world and that they can also be the goodness in the yeah. world. And for you, that's... Legacy. That's legacy. That's your. That's the very specific impact right. that that you hope that your presence um, in the world. I just got my John Lewis book. John Meacham just finished. In fact, I think John Lewis got to read the draft before he died mm-hmm. because it just got published last last week. And I think actually I know he did because he wrote the afterword. John Lewis wrote the afterword for the book. But I think he's such an extraordinary example. Like one, the conversation that we had on the porch um, a few weeks ago that kind of started this mm-hmm. uh, was a, had to do with joy. Right. And he popped to mind this morning as I was thinking about this, as we were coming, you know, as, as you know, I was just going about my morning, getting ready to sit and talk to you guys, thinking about how do we kind of re- find the thread, but not try to like, force going back there. But so I just was kind of thinking about what's been on my mind lately that probably would like to be contributed to this because that's why it's been there, you know, to be, because I think that's true. I think that everything that happens is connected to everything that will happen and that has happened in some way that there's a threat. So I'm taking a week off and the purpose of my week is to do a deeper exploration and create time for myself in many of the ways I do for other people um, to think about what is the next decade of my life because I'm getting ready to, to hit the 70 mark next year. So I wanna know, I wanna think about that. I wanna think about what's that in service of? Like how do I, what needs to be set down what's finished, what I'm done enough with and what needs to be created. And so um, I thought immediately that this is the first conversation, the first input into my week. This will somehow, I don't know how yet, but I know this will somehow be connected to wherever I go over this next week in my psyche you know, in my own particular exploration. So um, 
so John Lewis was there for me this morning. And I, and I flipped back and thought, I thought, oh, he's the best example because we talked about on the porch the difference between happiness and joy and that people often confuse those two. And we define joy. Um, I don't need to, I probably shouldn't put, you don't have to claim this. I know I define joy. You could say, yes, you agree or not. Sorry, I don't want to speak for you. But I define joy as that which is meaning is meaningful in purpose. So the things you guys were just talking about right. is in the category of joy. Yeah. You know, happiness might be the feeling you have, uh, might be, it might include the feeling you have after you have one of those experiences. Like Amanda, we were just talking, like, you know, that this person, you opened a window for somebody to see that they could trust goodness or that, that they could be the goodness. Mm-hmm. And walking away, you'll feel that joy slash fulfillment slash meaning and purpose, kind of all the same. Right. But you'll also have this sense of the highest level of happiness. In positive psychology, they break it into three levels. And the first is pretty hedonic. It's like, you know, um, a great glass of wine or something. Um, the second one, I can't remember. <laughs> Sorry. But the third one is, is connected, is more connected to joy. And I think I said on the porch that there was a book, and I can't remember who wrote it, but we could Google and find out, called, is something about raising children. It was called All Joy, No Happy. Right. So you've got meaning in every moment's meaningful, almost, mm-hmm. raising children, because you are so focused on how growing, they're becoming, they're becoming moment by moment by moment, and they do it so quickly. Right. Happiness, those things you had before you had children, those other kinds of experiences is in much shorter supply. Right. Well, interestingly, at the end of your life, since you've had so many happy moments, um, probably if you've been lucky or if you're, at least in this country, probably privileged, it's probably true, you've been lucky. Um, You've had great meals or um, gone to great concerts or whatever it is, sporting events, whatever it is that makes you happy. After a while, at first, there's the thrill of novelty, but that wears off. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know that I feel or have felt happy a lot. Mm-hmm. I think what I feel most of the time, this year has certainly been a challenge with COVID and the protests and the racial reckoning that is so overdue in our country. Um, but I have felt joy. What I've been thinking about is John Lewis never left that racial reckoning conversation. Never. Mm-hmm. Yet people always use the word to, dis- that to describe him. Joy is one of the words they always use for him. Even though he's talking about something very difficult. I know. And facing it. Yeah. And facing a continued, he was 80 years old, a continued six decades and more, but six decades that he was in service of of trying to change the racial narrative in our country and try to bring the founding um, words of of our declaration to real fruition. 
So I think it would be um, a lovely conversation for us to have maybe another time about, um, and maybe for the three of us to just kind of continue to think about, and maybe we're back on my porch again, but um, how, what, what does it look like to be joyful in the face of all the suffering, to be joyful and work towards the alleviation of suffering. Like it's hard not to want to just turn away from it. And I'm not saying people should never turn away from it because I think we all have points where taking more in, we've, we will just totally bankrupt our own energy. Yeah, you so I think self-protect a little bit. I think there are ways that we have to learn to moderate. Um, it's, you know, like adjusting the, 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 the flow on the faucet, right. so to speak, um, that we can kind of calibrate the, the rate at which we take in the news. I think part of that calibration could be, and this might be how we would also marry finding a way to be joyful in service might be be when we actually like, I've never done this, but I'm going to try to sit down to watch the news. And I usually watch PBS news because it's just less dramatic. So it's less likely to, Mm -hmm. you know, to elevate my um, fight or flight mode. Um, But to sit down and say, I'm going to watch this in service of what? Yeah or in service of who, or to ask myself the question, if I really want to serve people outside of my home, is this the best way for me to do this? Like just to be real with myself, I watch the news for the purpose of what? Right. You know, and if I, my answer is to stay informed, why? Right. You know, we know of plenty of people, you've got friends, I'm sure, that never pay attention to the news and their lives work fine without it. So why do, why is it important to me to be informed? Well, it's important to me to be informed because I want to try to find a way to make a difference. Okay, so then maybe I need to watch the news listening for, is there a clue to me as to how I make a difference? And honestly, all of this goes back to the very beginning of the conversation about the paradox in life, that joy in service for something that is maybe hard, yep. like that is maybe not positive. You know, it, like you were saying, right. being joyful in the, the service, that is a paradox in and of itself because you think joy is happy and light and free. Yeah. No. And it is that paradox of both. Joy, I think, has such weight. Um, I don't mean burden. I mean weight. I mean substance. Yeah. I mean it grounds oh, yeah. us right. in the world. It is, it's a call. It's a calling. Um, yep. When people say, I want to find what's mine to do, I want to know, are they actually ready to look for a vocation? Because that's there's a lot of things we all can do. Yeah. And then there's this thing called what is mine to do, which is vocation and calling. And Frederick Buchner defines that as where the world's great need meets your great gladness. 
hearts and we could say joy. Mm. So Frederick Buchner in the quote tells us these two actually belong together. You don't get joy without well, being in service of need. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, it's again, I mean, and David White's not the only person who's ever said this, but you have this promise inside of you and you know, the only way that you will find joy is also that it will a hundred percent, not 99%, not 98% break your heart mm -hmm. because the only thing that you can do that you care about will break your heart. And the only way to not ever get your heart broken is to follow a road that's either not yours mm. or one that you don't care about. Yeah. Right. So right. They, I never made Amen. 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 I didn't mean goosebumps. I know. Well, say that again. Honestly, say that again. That is like this is like, uh, that the only way that you can feel joy is number one, that it's attached to your meaning. And number two, it will 100% break your heart because the only way that you can take a road that won't break your heart is a road that's either not yours or one that you don't care about. And I think that that is kind of what you hinted at earlier about, you know, ego versus your soul and the ambition that comes out of each. Whenever your heart starts to get broken by this promise you've made, yeah. your ego will say, no, no, no. Oh, no. Nope. <laughs> I told you. Ship. Yep. Let's get out of here. We're on the wrong road. Right. But your soul exactly. will do what John Lewis did. That's. And you'll stay. 40 times he was arrested. Three of those, I think he was a Congress. Like he didn't even, to our point about polarity, holding polarities, he did not separate being in political office from protest. Yeah. Because mm. they, they go together. It's just really hard. It is really hard. We somehow think or want, humanly understand the want. Uh, we just need to kind of, let go of the thought because it's not true to your point, Haley. It's not true. What gives your life meaning will have to break your heart. Um, it, you, it, raising children is just a series of heartbreaks. Being someone's child is a series. I was about to say, I feel like what you were just saying, it, this, this concept crosses so many territories like a marriage you think when you lose happiness in a marriage like whenever you lose that initial like oh he makes me so happy yes the deeper joy is when you are working on it and whenever you overcome obstacles together that were really difficult yeah. you are finding that joy that satisfaction like I'm only in my first year of marriage but you know it was in COVID and it you know that that was a lot of that's <laughs> a lot to overcome for yes. Mary. We never lived together yeah. before, but it's like when you overcome the obstacles that face you, when you're not feeling happy, yes. that's when you feel, you look at each other and you're like, whoa, we just, 
we accomplished this together and that brings that fulfillment and it wasn't happy. Do you know right. what I mean? Well, no, I know exactly what you mean. I know it's like Haley. Were you going to say something? I heard yes, another. But point. I, but I'm also curious to know what you were going to say. So, well, I was you? just thinking about um, every real conversation I've had, whether it's been with a family member, my kids, my siblings, my friends. What that's been that I've had, and a real conversation gets defined because it by by this measure that it. It makes you a little uncomfortable. You kind of don't know what's going to happen. So uncertainty yeah. and the unknown are married to real conversations. Um, so there's you've got stakes in it. Every one of those I've had, and I've had tons in my life, um, breaks who I think I am open. And I think that's what came to mind when you were talking about we have an identity for ourselves. We sell it to others. <laughs> yes. Yes, right? Right? I'm your partner who's always X, Y, Z. And then we find out that actually we are vast. We contain multitudes. Right. And we aren't just the partner who X, Y, Z. We're also the partner who A, B, C. We're that big, big guys. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Praise God. <laughs> I was thinking in the back of my mind, I kept that line to find the guise under which all loss can live. Right. And so to me, that's got to be meaning or joy. And joy, they're the same. Holy like you don't have meaning without joy and you don't have joy without meaning. And um, you definitely have heartbreak. And it's just absolutely. so funny that... Absolutely. The, the confusion of joy and happiness that is so rampant is, a t is, has it, yes, you do sometimes get the byproduct of happiness, but you will never experience joy without heartbreak. And heartbreak is not something you would ever associate with happiness. Mm -hmm. I know. I know. And, it, and I don't think it is. I mean, I think that's fair. I don't think. Right. Heartbreak yeah. is included in happiness, but it is necessary for joy. It is not sufficient, but it is necessary because you have to have meaning too. Well, and this all sounds like the conversation that Brene Brown talks about when you're in the ring and you are oh, yeah. working on yourself every day and you are putting in the effort you will face defeat, not you may face defeat. Oh, right, right. You, she says you will 100%, and that is, that's the same conversation. Like, you will face the heartbreak because you're trying. You're vulnerable. Right, because you don't know how to do this yet. You're doing something you don't know how to do. You're becoming. Yeah, right. And, and you're trying. And so there isn't, one of the things, if I had a magic wand, I would love to... Um, get rid of the thought that there's a there there like there's a place you get to and now you become end of conversation but i think most of us at least i know my generation grew up thinking you got to be an adult and you got done this is reminding me of something you said on the porch which i will now ask you to expand on you said that the the soul's ambition is for experience and the ego's ambition is for outcomes. Results. Yeah, that's right. That's right. 
It's always going for the there. Thank you, Haley. That's a great connection. It That's who in us that says, I'm so tired of this. Can't I be there? That's our strategic powers. That's our ego. Are we tired? Sure. I'm not saying it isn't exhausting, but it maybe it's because of how we're going about it. I think about Ross Gay's book, The Book of Delights. Um, um, he's an African-American artist. It's a gorgeous book where he writes all these essays, short essays, finding delight in things that have nothing to do with what most of us would associate with delight or happiness. Yeah. But actually sourcing, the line that keeps going through the back of my mind is looking for love in all the wrong places. I think that's what we're doing. When we chase the outcome, you know, it's looking for love in all the wrong places. It's looking for meaning in all the wrong places. And in fact, when we focus there, it robs us of the meaning of this moment of working towards that outcome. Whereas when we focus on the experience I'm having in this moment, now that's of God. That that's that's the place where the God speaks. God. That's right. That's right. That is the point. That's what we're all going after. It is enough. It is more than enough. If we could stay there, there'd be nothing else we would want. Well, Nancy, we adore you, first of all. Second of all, I think it's that, like, you find people out in the world that are kind of like a mirror, and you just, you know, the more you open up, we see ourselves in you and hopefully back, and I feel like we could just talk to you forever. So thank you for sharing your insight is there anything else you want to say to any listener um no i i think the only thing that i would well first of all thank you this was as always our conversations are life-giving um i'm i'm thrilled i hope other people have that same experience maybe they will maybe they won't but certainly it was. It felt like such a deep blessing to me as I start into this week. And the the thing I would say to all of us is find a moment where you can actually just hear your sweet soul and fall in love with her, even if she rattles your cage, or fall in love with him, even if he rattles your cage, because we are of stardust. We are of the gods. And the dirty little secret about love, as Pittman McGee said, is we are the ones we've been looking for. Mm. I'm the one I want. I'm my, that's the, my beloved. If I don't fall in love with me, no one will be able to fill this for me. Mm. So that's what I would wish for all of us, that that's we fall in charge. <laughs> that's what life is for. That's what a whole life is for. Yep. And for more and more conversations like these to help us find that deeper part of ourselves. Well, we're definitely going to have to have you back on because, you know, we got to solve all the world's problems. That's right. And we're so good at it. <laughs> or at least we think it. we are. <laughs> well, we're going to talking about it. Yeah. Thank you so much for being open to us and giving your time. And we hope you have a great week off.
and yes, great you. you too, ladies. Yes, yes. We'll do this. We'll do my porch again soon in a couple of weeks. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Love you guys. Love you, Nancy. Bye. Thank you guys for listening in on that conversation with Nancy Wonders. We hope you enjoyed it. It was a great way to start our day, the day that we did the, well, I say interview, but the the day we had the conversation with Nancy. Yes, conversations like these really are life-giving, like Nancy said, and it's something that we've obviously listened back to it a few times now, and um, I just... I think that they're important conversations and we hope that you also found a lot of insight about joy and your purpose and the paradox that's held in feeling happy but also feeling so grounded in joy and your purpose. Yeah, being fulfilled. So if you want to hear and see today's sponsors for this podcast episode, please go to our Instagram at Haley and Amanda where we have this week's sponsors, which is a Zoom Buh. It's a new workout program and we think you're going to like it. So go over to Haley and Amanda on Instagram to check it out this week. Also, we're going to be posting stuff about Nancy Wonders and you can look up any of her information in her blog at nancywonders.com. So again, guys, another week down and we hope this week you're... Live and purdy. Live purdy, y'all.